0: Support for this episode of This Changes Everything is provided by Primera Blue Cross. Woohoo!
1: Hello! Yay! Hey, I'm Sarah Bernard, a podcast producer with CrossCut.
0: Ooh, whoa, what is this light?
1: And this is Hannah Weinberger, a CrossCut staff reporter who focuses on science and the environment. (laughs) Sorry, from, from my side? Oh, from my side. So normally, Hannah would also be in this little audio studio with me at the Crosscut KCTS-9 offices here in Seattle, Washington. She'd come downstairs from the big newsroom upstairs, and we'd both talk into some nice mics in here. But we, like pretty much everyone else in the world right now, are trying out some new ways of getting things done. Uh, The phone up to your face, kind of like that, and let it roll. Recording. Okay. I'm still actually trying to figure out how... Okay, here we go. So I'm yeah recording myself on this side and then you're recording yourself on that side. But I'm also recording this thing in the middle so that we get something good out of this. <laughs> How are you doing?
0: I'm OK. How are you?
1: So Hannah was the first reporter at Crosscut to start following the novel coronavirus outbreak here back in January. The Puget Sound region was, as you recall, home to the very first confirmed case on U.S. soil.
0: So I was looking through my email and my search history trying to figure out when I first started like poking around on this. Um, And I guess the first day was really when they had announced that someone uh, in Everett uh, had been diagnosed with COVID-19. The first
1: case of China's new and deadly coronavirus has been reported here in the U.S. Hannah says she's an environment reporter, not a health reporter. But health is close to her beat in a lot of ways, so she wanted to pay attention.
0: I also studied Mandarin Chinese in college, that was my major. Um, So I'd been you know, kind of watching what was happening overseas, not knowing whether it would come here. Doctors from the CDC are now here in Washington State monitoring this situation. We
1: knew it was going to come into the United States at probably some point. It just happened to be Washington
0: State the first place to see it. I remember that things got really bad over uh, the Lunar New Year. Um, I was really excited to go to some Lunar New Year celebrations, and then a lot of them ended up getting canceled. I reached out to ask why they had canceled, because there was no explanation. And it turned out that a lot of the people who were participating in the festival were just really concerned um, about being somewhere uh, amidst all of this. And I started looking into the healthcare side of things, um, and started to get worried about are we prepared for this? I'd been really curious about natural disasters and emergency situations for a while. I've been reporting on wildfire and uh, you know earthquake and tsunami preparedness, and started asking you know, healthcare providers and officials about. What they were doing to prepare for coronavirus to come to King County in late January and early February when I first started publishing, uh, people were concerned about how long we might be able to contain the virus and what we would need in terms of resources to do that. Uh, So I started getting really concerned just as a person and kept reporting on things that didn't have to do with coronavirus. But over time, that just started to be the thing where it started consuming everything else
1: breaking developments in the coronavirus pandemic, the death toll rising in the U.S.
0: Officials declaring an emergency.
1: As we come on the air tonight, much of America shutting down.
0: Happening tonight, a major shutdown to slow the spread of the coronavirus. My administration is recommending that all Americans, including the young and healthy, work to engage in schooling from home when possible. If Wall Street is a sign of what's to come, buckle up. The Dow had its worst point drop ever.
1: A stunning sight to see. The empty shelves, millions of families worried about what's coming, trying to stock up. Well,
0: If you're the average American, what are you supposed to believe?
1: More cases are now being reported every day than were reported in China at the highest of its epidemic
0: really time is of the essence when you're dealing with a a virus like this social distancing flatten the curve and you're doing a favor to the community you're doing a favor to your elders
1: i'm sarah bernard and this is this changes everything a new podcast from crosscut about the new normal because the coronavirus this pandemic it changes everything The way we work, the way we interact, the way we govern, the way we think and feel, there are just so many impacts and so much uncertainty about those impacts. In addition to the toll it's taking on human health and on the healthcare system, there's also our economy grinding to a halt. Thousands and thousands of people out of work. All of a sudden, it seems like we're headed into a major recession or even depression. And yeah, the phrase This Changes Everything has been used before in books and movies and movements, but we're pulling it out here again to point to the truth of where we are right now. This pandemic is changing everything. It really is. So welcome to season one of This Changes Everything Coronavirus. Crosscut staff reporters like those in every newsroom are following this pandemic closely and they're watching as it unfolds right here in Seattle, one of the epicenters of the outbreak. We're going to lean on those reporters to explore it here on the podcast as well, all the big and small and scary and weird ways it's impacting us. So we're now months into this crisis, but in this first episode, we thought we'd go back and start at the beginning. The beginning, at least, for Seattle, when the first COVID-19 case showed up in the region. Reporter Hannah Weinberger had no idea how right she was to be so concerned at the time, a good six weeks before things really started to escalate. And Hannah isn't only one of the first local reporters to dive into the coronavirus story. She's also probably among the first people here to have to grapple with all the emotions involved. Fear, guilt, and a new kind of anxiety. Okay, back to Hannah. The first story Hannah put together on COVID-19 was published in early February. The headline... How Coronavirus Has Tested Seattle's Infectious Disease Response. But I guess in retrospect, it's the subhead that caught my eye. It reads, Healthcare workers train extensively for outbreaks. After responding to the first American case of the novel virus, they say they are even more prepared. I mean, I think maybe the first piece that you published on Crosscut about this was was about this sort of are we prepared question. And certainly um people who you were talking to about this, they were saying, you know, we do drills on this. Like this is part of our work, right? Like we are prepared.
0: You know, we're prepared. But a lot of people were sharing with me that they were concerned despite feeling like they knew what to expect or feeling like they had practiced what to do in certain situations. Um, there was a lot of anxiety or at least um, apprehension around how little people knew about how the disease or the virus operates. I, I was concerned personally, and I was talking with people who were thinking about this all day. And the first person that I interviewed in person for this was a doctor that I tracked down in infectious disease at Harborview, uh, Dr. Doctor John Lynch. And the minute he saw me, uh. He realized who I was because I'd had a phone call scheduled with him, but wasn't sure it was going to happen just because everything was so crazy. So I figured I should go to the hospital to make sure I talked to him. And I happened to run into him in a basement hallway, just like through kismet. I'd been wandering the halls trying to find him and had no idea where he could be and was just really down and handing out my um, business card to any nurse that I saw. (laughs) And then I just happened to overhear him talking in a hallway. And so he realized who I was and was like, oh, my God, can I eat first? I haven't eaten in like a day. And I was like, what is he doing that he hasn't eaten in a day? Wow. Even without the virus being present in our community, or it could have been and we just didn't know, people were already working that hard.
1: Of course, now things are already getting tough enough in Washington state and beyond that Healthcare providers are building a roster of emergency volunteers to help out in case of staffing shortages. And to be honest... It doesn't feel like a stretch to assume that things will probably be tougher by the time you're hearing this than they are when I'm recording this. For most of us, that assumption wasn't a given at all, even just a few weeks ago. But Hannah, Hannah was pretty much worried from the beginning.
0: I'm, I'm not a public health expert. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not even a regular health reporter. So I had a lot of self-doubt about whether my concerns were even merited. Um, but I remember one thing that really stuck out to me uh, when I was interviewing King County Public Health's health officer, Dr. Jeff Duchin, um, and some of his colleagues. I was wondering about how quarantine would work for people who had been identified through contact tracing to have come in contact with the uh, you know, 35-year-old patient who was the first case in the U.S. And they were saying you know, people who um, work Confirmed interactions with him um, and who needed a place to stay would be kept in, you know, a very specified and controlled quarantine situation and the public health officials would bring them anything they need. But um, outside of that, people who were lower risk, people who were just traveling from China or Wuhan or or things like that, they were just getting contact information for people to call when they got to the airport um, and being told that if symptoms developed, they should call. And, you know, at some point, I think officials like Department of Health or, or King County Public Health were, you know, calling people to check in if they were super high risk. But it's like, there was no enforcement of quarantine, there was no enforcement of isolation. And so I was thinking, how do we how can we confirm this is working if we have no way to check in with these people? Like, how do you know who's developing symptoms or not? There's so much agency loss here. Um, And I didn't know if this was normal because I never reported on a situation like this before. And then a few weeks later, when it came out that there was um, community transmission outside of situations where officials expected it to be, as we learned more about how this virus operates we at that point didn't even know who may have been exposed.
1: Public health officials, of course, later confirmed that the virus was spreading throughout the region and had been for a while, silently infecting maybe thousands of people through this so-called community transmission, which basically just means that the source of the infection is unknown. All we know is more and more people are getting sick because COVID-19 is so contagious. Hmm. Are our local agencies as prepared as they wanted to be or thought they were? I
0: think that based on what they knew about how infection worked, that their initial containment strategy was as best as it could be. So they only knew of one confirmed case, and then they immediately sprung into action trying to figure out who that person had come into contact with. And at that point, you know, they were operating... Within guidelines set by the CDC, like these are the, the risk factors to look out for. Does this person have specific, uh, you know, health symptoms or have they been to a specific region of the planet? Um, and once people started to realize that symptoms varied um, and that the virus was already present in places uh, that they didn't expect, um, strategies have been changing. So it's just like this, this detective work where you're not working with complete information. I think that's something that a lot of people have expressed to me is difficult. Like we're working in a scenario where there's a virus that's from a a, a family of viruses that people understand, but not this one specifically. Um, so every day people are producing the literature that would have helped people better construct their strategy at the outset. Mm.
1: Right. Exactly. I mean, this is a novel coronavirus. and That's a huge part of it is just like, we didn't know what we didn't know. Exactly. So Hannah kept reporting, kept following all the developments as they unfolded, each a bit scarier than the last. But at a certain point, she started to wonder if she was becoming part of the story. When did you start to feel a little bit sick?
0: Like a week or two after I had published my first piece on coronavirus health infrastructure impacts, uh, I started getting a cough and not feeling super great. And I, I mean, I tend to get a cold or runny nose like every few weeks in the winter. Like, yeah, that's just like how I end up operating. But this felt different.
1: We'll get back to Hannah in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross was founded in Washington State. With offices in the Puget Sound area and Spokane, they know the profound impact the COVID-19 outbreak has had, and will continue to have, on our local communities. They joined the region's major employers, who made the early decision to send employees home and help protect vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors. The Primera team is in your corner, and doing what they can to help during this health crisis. That includes covering COVID-19 tests and related office visits without out-of-pocket costs for most plan members. And they're working with the federal government toward free testing for all, regardless of health coverage. Primera has expanded virtual care options, too, so people in Washington can get their symptoms checked by a doctor without leaving their home or receive ongoing care, like mental health therapy. Primera is offering early prescription refills to make sure members have the medications they need at the ready. Mail order and 90-day refills are also available. Ask your pharmacist if you want to know more about your options. Primera continues to actively monitor the situation to find more ways they can help to stop the spread of COVID-19 and get treatment to those affected. Learn more about how your care is covered at Primera.com.
0: Luckily, was in a situation where uh, when I was sick, I was able to work from home. And I did that for a couple days and then felt a little bit better, but was still coughing. And at that time, didn't think that there was any reason for me to assume that I had coronavirus because I didn't have flu or pneumonia. Like, those were the big ones. And I hadn't been specifically to the Wuhan region um, so I was like, okay, this is probably just like a really bad case of bronchitis or strep or something. Um, and then I remember coming back into the office and seeing you like on your first day and being like, sorry, I'm coughing. I'm not sick. Yeah, yeah. Like if, <laughs> if I thought I was sick, I wouldn't be here. And then I immediately went into a meeting where I just had a coughing fit and like had to excuse myself from the room. And I was like, maybe it's not done. And, uh, ever since then I've been working from home. yeah. I think after about a week, that was when people started saying that you could have low-level symptoms and still have coronavirus. Um, And I was like, well, I've been wandering around hospitals, I've been going to 300-person panels with dozens of people who've been working on this speaking. What did I what did I do to, to get the information that I've been getting? Like, am I a hazard to other people's health?
1: And then Hannah ran into an issue that a lot of people have been experiencing so far during this crisis. A lack of adequate testing for the disease. Tests are limited. Testing capacity is limited.
0: I knew that it was very hard for people to get tested at that point. I'd been reading about how people even with, you know, fever and pneumonia, uh, if they weren't in, you know, immunocompromised situations or they weren't older or they didn't have known contact with a confirmed patient often weren't getting selected uh, just because testing was so difficult to come by. So my medical care team told me that so long as I had any of these symptoms, I should work from home. And I was like, so how serious of an advisory is this? And they're like, well, we can't test you because you're not in a high risk group, whatever that meant.
1: Of course, as we learn more about the virus, the definition of high-risk group keeps changing. Consensus now is that you're at a higher risk for a more severe reaction if you're over 65 or have underlying health issues, such as chronic lung disease or diabetes. Hmm. You're asking to get tested and you're not able to because you're not in a high-risk group.
0: I was trying to be wary and not overreact and just assume that I had coronavirus, even if we didn't understand how it worked. But then my partner, um, who's one of the most logical, rational people I know and would never overreact to a health concern, got whatever I had and felt awful, like worse than I did. Um, and he felt the fatigue and the body aches more more than I did. I had primarily um, chest pain, shortness of breath, a really present cough, throat soreness and uh, fatigue, But he he was like, he couldn't get out of bed. And he was like, I'm pretty sure I have coronavirus. I want you to get tested. I want myself to get tested. I'm pretty sure you gave it to me. And I was like, oh, now it's time to pay. (laughs) Thanks for the permission. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, whoa. Whoa. we we both called our doctors on the same day. And his his medical care team also told him to stay home.
1: Okay, so neither to this day, neither of you have been tested
0: we couldn't get tested
1: I guess how do you feel how did you feel how do you feel about not
0: knowing not knowing whether you present a health risk to other people is like excruciating i i do not want to be the reason someone's grandma dies i don't want to be the reason that Healthcare providers can't give sufficient care to everyone uh, under their watch, you know, and I, I I've been reading about Italian physicians who have to make like wartime field medicine decisions to triage who lives and dies. So I've just been under the guidance of public officials and my doctors acting like I had coronavirus and trying not to expose uh, people to myself (laughs) like cleaning my house and like I thankfully I have one roommate um and not I don't live in like a house of a lot of people who are interacting with a lot of people every day Mm -hmm. and I still don't know like I felt like I was overreacting for a long time because I was supposed to go to Boston like last weekend or the weekend before with my college friends and they were like you should come and I was like I don't know if I should but then my flight was canceled anyways so So I was just like feeling like I was letting people down because I was so concerned about this virus when maybe, maybe I was doing the right thing and I'll never know.
1: Suppose, let's say that you did have it and then you're feeling better now. I mean, I don't know if you've, you know, talked to people about this, but does that mean that you will no longer be contagious or they don't know that yet?
0: We don't know that yet. And I think like the uh, leading idea is that you can't get ill again. um, If you've had it before, I don't know if you can still be a carrier. Um, I don't know if I had it is the thing. I, I like to err on the side of caution. And I'm telling everyone I know, like when my brother had the flu and had to go into his, you know, coding boot camp, because they would kick him out if he didn't show up in person. I was like, see if you can do it remotely I don't care and he was like it's just the flu because it hadn't hit Ohio yet and now Ohio's in a major lockdown I've been really I've been worried and people have been telling me like it doesn't matter and then now everybody else is like oh my god it matters we've hit what people are telling me is like the acceleration phase of a pandemic which means that like right now we're doing mitigation we're not doing containment anymore the virus is out there and we haven't tracked it well enough to know exactly where when it's at this point, um, everyone, even if they're feeling sick or not, is told to just stay away from other people because they don't know.
1: Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Mark Baumgarten. Engineering assistance from Rusty Bacall. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. Thanks so much to Barry Steelman, Jibran Subey, and Resty Bacall for updating the Crosscut Audio Studio to make this show a reality. And a huge thanks, of course, to staff reporter Hannah Weinberger. You can read all of her coverage of this issue, as well as the rest of the teams, at crosscut.com slash coronavirus. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and the other Crosscut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.